0: Coming up next on the Passion Struck Podcast.
1: But as I've gotten older and I look back at my life and I, and I think about these things, like that moment or those moments, like how different would I be, right? If they would have just listened to the first set of doctors. I trip out on that every time I say it because I'm like, my life would have been dramatically different and because of my parents' decisions, right? it would have shaped the whole trajectory of my life.
0: Welcome visionaries, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, leaders and growth seekers of all types to the Passion Struck Podcast. Hi, I'm John Miles, a peak performance coach, multi-industry CEO, Navy veteran and entrepreneur on a mission to make passion go viral for millions worldwide. And each week I do so by sharing with you an inspirational message and interviewing high achievers from all walks of life to unlock their secrets and lessons to becoming passion struck. The purpose of our show is to serve you, the listener, by giving you tips, tasks, and activities you can use to achieve peak performance and pursue the passion driven life you have always wanted to have. Now, let's become passion struck. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 107 of the Passion Struck podcast. And thank you to each and every one of you. Who comes back weekly to listen and learn to live better be better and impact the world and if you're new to the show or you would like to introduce it to a friend or family member we now have episode starter packs these are collections of your favorite episodes that we categorize by topic to give any new listener a great way to understand everything that we do here on the show just go to passionstruck.com starter packs to get started And we also just introduced starter packs in the form of playlists on our Spotify channel. So they're there for you to consume as well. And if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel at John R. Miles, we passed an incredible milestone this week by achieving over 500,000 views. And we now have over 230 videos, both long form content like today's episode, as well as two to five minute mindset moments, which give you a much shorter dose of inspiration just go to john r miles and please subscribe today's episode is a truly remarkable one and it's one that when i think about why i created passion struck our guest today demonstrates everything that it's meant to be passion struck in your life today's guest is no other than jen brooker bauer and if you're not familiar with jen she's an aerialist, speaker and new york times best-selling author of the book Everything is possible. Although born with no legs, Jen lives by the simple rule, never say can't. Aspects of Jen's incredible story have been featured on HBO Real Sports, ABC 2020, and Good Morning America. She traveled internationally with Britney Spears World Tour, was the headliner at the prestigious Palazzo Hotel in Las Vegas, New York's Lincoln Center, and the Shangri-La Hotel in Dubai. In today's discussion, we go into how, after being born with no legs, Jen was put up for adoption and then was adopted by a very loving family in Illinois. How she became the first disabled high school tumbling champion in the state of Illinois. How her parents instilled in both her and her brothers a never say can't attitude, which has become the very foundation for everything that she has done in her life. Her story of learning the startling news that her childhood idol, gymnast Dominique Marciano, was actually her sister, how she is spreading inspiration throughout the country through her speaking at churches and children's events. We discuss her book and how much her life has changed since that Britney Spears World War and so much more in this amazing interview. Thank you for choosing PassionStruck and choosing me to be your host and guide on your journey of living an intentional life. Before we begin, I would like to emphasize that this podcast is part of my desire and effort to bring zero-cost information to the general public regarding how to unlock an intentional no-regrets life. In keeping with that theme, I would like to thank the sponsors of today's episode. Our next sponsor is a product I literally use every day. I started taking athletic Greens six months ago because I wanted to achieve optimum performance And better gut health. And I can tell you it does that and so much more. I've noticed an overall improvement in sleep quality, recovery from my workouts, and better mental clarity. I take it first thing in the morning with an eight ounce glass of water and several other supplements that I throw in. With one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics and aptogens to help you start your day out right. With all the stressors that are around us, I know I have them in my life, this is such an easy way to get your nutrition done right daily. And it costs you just $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. In order to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs, with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Surfshark. As a former Chief Information Security Officer, I can tell you that the internet is getting more dangerous by the second. Hackers have more ways to target you, and trackers follow your every move. Luckily, there's a solution you can get a VPN. It will hide your real location, making you much harder to identify and target your location. But privacy and security are not all that Surfshark has to offer. When you use a VPN, you can change your virtual location and forget about the restrictions and censorship. Can't find what you want to watch on Netflix, Hulu, or Disney Plus? or other streaming platforms? Unlock new libraries with a VPN. Can't watch a YouTube video? Access a website? Connect to a different location with a VPN. You can try out Surfshark completely risk-free because they have a 30-day money-back guarantee. Get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals passionstruck. Use the promo code passionstruck for 83% off and three extra months free. That's Surfshark.deals slash Passionstruck. Thank you so much for listening to and supporting the show. All those codes and URLs can be difficult to remember, so we've put them in one convenient spot for you. Just go to Passionstruck.com slash deals. Please consider supporting those who support the show and make it possible and free to our listeners. Now back to Passionstruck. So excited today to welcome Jen Bricker Bauer to the Passion Start Podcast. Jen, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me.
0: And I just wanted to give a call out to our fan uh, Brad Hudson, who was the person who approached me about having you on the show. He's a huge fan of yours, so um, just wanted to give him a call out uh, because we we do love it when listeners of the show ask for the guests, um, and more and more of them uh, are are that way. So. I think you are a household name. I mean, you've been on 2020, you've been on Good Morning America, you've been on global platforms, but there may be some listeners who don't know your story.
1: Well, thanks for having me. And thanks to your fan also for uh, requesting me. That's so cool. I love that. Um, Yeah, so kind of in a nutshell, I guess we could be on here for days talking about my life, but um, I was born without legs and left in the hospital, put up for adoption And I was adopted. I was taken in, let's say I was in a foster home for three months. And then my family who eventually adopted me got me at three months old. My adoption became official at a year and a half. And I was raised in the middle of nowhere in Southern Illinois, which is actually where I'm at now. And with my three older brothers, my mom and dad, and, you know, again, like I could take so much time just. The beginning of my life into this family with their adoption story is such a miracle upon a miracle upon a miracle, you know, like they had every obstacle against them, never adopted, never fostered, and definitely didn't know anything about somebody without legs. And yet against all the odds, they got me. And when they took me to the first team of doctors at a really, really big hospital, very prestigious hospital and their diagnosis I guess was I would never sit up on my own and at all like that was it done deal you know and that I would be stuck into this kind of uh, device actually (laughs) where because that I you know because they said well she can't sit up on her own so I was going to be sitting in this thing that was apparently going to make me sit up on my own and You know, at that moment, you, if you're my parents and you've adopted this this girl with no legs, and you don't really know, you're not an expert, certainly, about any of that stuff, and that's what the doctors tell you. You can really put yourself in that situation for a minute, and you kind of have one of two major ways to go, right? Like you can accept what they say as like, that's it, there's no other way. Man, I guess her life's over, I guess our life is over. That's not what you know we wanted for her, or And thankfully, the other part is what my parents did. You can go and get a second opinion and believe that there's more and refuse to accept that as your child's future. Thankfully, that's what my parents did. And they went to a different hospital. And the the doctor, my dad, met him immediately at the other hospital and said, "Uh, just answer me one question. Like, all I want to know is, is she ever going to sit up on her own? Before we go any further, that's all I want to know. And this doctor looked at my dad and said, Mr. Bricker, she's going to do things that are beyond your wildest imagination. She's going to do things that you never thought possible. But as I've gotten older and I look back on my life and I I think about these things, like that moment or those moments, like how different would I be, right? If they would have just listened to the first set of doctors. I trip out on that every time I say it because I'm like, my life would have been dramatically different and because of my parents' decisions, right. It would have shaped the whole trajectory of my life. And I know I'm getting pinpointed on that area, but it's, it's such a big part of my story. The beginning of my story is really, you have to understand that and my family and how I was raised to kind of understand like the rest of it, you know? And so they were like that with everything. I mean, I wanted to do all the things. I want to play softball, basketball, volleyball, even power tumbling. And I did all of the sports with able-bodied athletes. So because I grew up in the middle of nowhere and I didn't even know anything Paralympic, like what, what does that mean? Or You know, um, I didn't really grasp, like I knew I didn't have legs, obviously, but I wasn't treated differently at home or at school and it just kind of wasn't a big deal you know that's so hard for people to grasp but that's just how it is yeah. and well, how it was
0: I heard you on another uh, podcast uh, say that you know you learned that no one cares um, and yeah. you were you were lucky to, to learn that at a, at a young age and I just bring it up because a number of weeks ago I interviewed a NASCAR driver Jesse Ouija who played football at the Naval Academy and the coaches at the Naval Academy told all the players, no one cares that you're not a first round NFL potential draft pick. No one cares that you're a smaller lineman. No one cares that, you know, we don't have the speed of Notre Dame or someone else. He goes, they're expecting you to show up and be able to play toe to toe with these teams. And so I think it's an important message. It's
1: very true. I mean, it, definitely takes all of us a long time to kind of get through that when we're younger and even in our you know just in our lives as adults but that's true I mean people care. you care so much more than other people care like you think you know you make up these things in your mind and you think everybody's paying attention and you're like everybody has so much else going on that they don't usually have time to put that much focus on (laughs) your life you know (laughs) or these like minute things that we that we make so big in our minds. I did make things bigger in my mind, plenty of things, but not having legs was just how it was supposed to be. And there was that something that I just really accepted fully and completely. Um, You know, when I was younger, it was that my parents said, uh, God doesn't make mistakes. You were born like this for a reason. And as I got older, I believed that. It wasn't just them saying that. I saw that start to play out, like, yeah, this is being used to help other people. And like, you start seeing that enough. And I started realizing that, you know, it was much later. I mean, more like, you know, 1920 to 20, like 20 to 25 is when I really started to grasp like, whoa, you know, this is really so much bigger than me. And but when I was younger, there was just this acceptance of like, that's just how it's supposed to be, you know, that's kind of how my family is too. Like they're pretty black and white with certain things and like, it just is what it is, you know, don't complain that much. Don't make excuses, you know? And so that all kind of ties hand in hand with the whole mentality. And and I think the way that I see that I saw myself or that I see myself and I have great community too. I'm big on community because I'm a product of it. So that's kind of yes. the early years.
0: We'll be right back to the Passion Struck Podcast. I'd love to introduce my audience to Magic Mind, the little magical elixir that makes your body hum. They are also sponsoring this episode. Magic Mind is the world's first productivity drink, and it's like coffee, but the good kind of coffee. It consists of 12 functional ingredients, including matcha tea, nootropics that help you focus, and aptogens that help you fight off stress. It's basically made for an entrepreneur or creator like me. I have been using Magic Mind for over a month. And after a few days, I noticed that I am sharper, have more sustained energy, and feel dialed in. I use Magic Mind once a day, typically in the mornings or before a period where I need sustained energy and concentration. I also noticed that I no longer have the afternoon lull that I'm sure so many of you also experience. Magic Mind has given me a 20% discount code to share with my audience. It's magicmind.co slash passionstruck and use the code passionstruck at checkout. Don't forget to go to magicmind.co slash passionstruck and use the code Passionstruck at checkout. And I know all these codes and URLs can be difficult to remember. So we put them all in one place on passionstruck.com slash deals. Please consider supporting those who support the show and make it possible and free for our listeners. Now back to Passion Struck. Well, I am curious when you went to your parents and said, I want to play basketball or I want to play softball, what did they and your brothers say to you? Um, mm-hmm. Was there ever anything about how are you going to do that or you can't do that? Or was it always, you know, I'd love to hear that perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there would, I guess, technically be certainly be reasons why they would say those like, well, how would you do that? And well, you don't have legs and uh, on and on and on and on. Right. And they just didn't, that's just, I don't know that's just not them or not the way they think they were so excited about. I always say that when I was adopted, my brothers, it was like, I was their new shiny pet, you know, kind of like, Oh, what else can she do? What can she do next? You know, they were always experimenting with me and seeing, and they were so fascinated by all the things that I could do. And they would teach me like more and more and more. And so I think they were just, excited, you know, and they were like, "Oh, you want to do that? Okay. Well, then you'll figure out a way to do it." It was just that was kind of it, you know. And they would work with me, you know, throwing the ball and um hitting the ball and and just things like that that they could work with me on, you know, normal stuff like that. There was not an ounce of discouragement. And and by discouragement, I I don't just mean like a flat out, "No, you shouldn't do that." But I mean, there wasn't that questioning or that hesitating or you know, it just, that's just not them. And I'm really grateful that they, they just kind of allowed me to follow the things that I was passionate about, things that I loved. And so I didn't, these sports or these things to prove all the naysayers wrong or, you know, I also didn't do it like for those reasons. I just did them because I loved it. Like I just was naturally an athlete. I just loved being, I loved being on team sports. I love being with everybody. I like doing physical things. I'm really good at it. Like I was naturally good at those things. And so it, it was just kind of all around stuff that I enjoyed.
0: Okay. And what would your advice be to a listener who maybe has something they want to accomplish, but that inner voice keeps telling them I can't, they're kind of just sitting in this loop where they're doing nothing, um, but have this aspiration. What would be your advice to them?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot in that. (laughs) I normally kind of have my ending message wrapped up with all these things, but I'd say if anyone has seen stuff online or anything, a lot of headlines or titles have been can't isn't part of your vocabulary or can is a four letter word and things like that. That's from my book and just from headlines that people have made. And so that's comes from my childhood where my parents said can't isn't part of your vocabulary. And but it's where that comes into play is is kind of tied into your question. So it's more than just like saying that as a sentence, it's removing that from your thought process and from your life, and not in just some philosophical way, but in like a reality kind of day-to-day things. And so it's actually tied in. So the title of my book is Everything Is Possible. And, but it's tied in with the whole can't isn't, I didn't like do this. I didn't try to make up some master plan. I just, as the book came out and as I talked more, I'm like, that's actually hand in hand. So the taking the can out of your vocabulary and everything is possible. It, the way it comes out practically is like the one thing that every, that all of us have in common. There's one thing everybody in the whole world, no matter where you're from has in common and that's obstacles and struggles because nobody is free from those. Nobody gets a free pass in life from that. Nobody. So it's kind of like a, it's a nice equalizer (laughs) (laughs) levels, the playing field. And um, the way I think that it plays out practically is that we all are going to have like these mountains in our lives. And so when the mountain comes, it's because it's wind and you see, it, we see the mountain and sometimes we're afraid and we're, we're like, how am I going to get, Like, I don't even have all the answers. That's like, yeah, that's normal. I mean, I have certainly been there and I will be there again. All of us will. But I think where it practically makes a difference is that if we can look at the mountain and be like, okay, I don't have all the answers. I am afraid. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But if we believe that, okay, there, I believe at least that I know I can somehow get to the other side that I have to go around or over it or chisel through a little every day, day by day, believing that it's possible. I think that is where we win or lose the battle just there. Like before we even go over it or it's the difference of looking at it and being like paralyzed and then never moving or being terrified and then just running away from it. You know what I mean? And I think that is I like practical things and things that I can just make sense to me. And so for me, that whole taking can out of your vocabulary and everything is possible, that is to me how it, you can kind of break it down into this like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And it's also like a day by day thing. It doesn't have to be this huge, unattainable thing, you know, that's like out there somewhere in the wind, but it's just this, okay, today, yep this situation sucks or it's overwhelming or it's whatever. But I believe or I don't, that's kind of it. It's either we believe it or we don't that it's possible to somehow get over there. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be fast, but at least you believe that you can and that motivates you. You know what I mean? Like it gives us that, that grit and that, just the belief that like, yeah, I can get through that. I can do it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think the thing that, differentiates us as a species from any other species on the planet is the power of choice. And to me, it really comes down to, you know, you've got to make that choice. But then as you just pointed out, you have to take deliberate actions in an intentional way, you know, every single day to get you closer to it. It, It's kind of this Mm -hmm. paradigm of deliberate action. um, Because after a while, you can just stack action upon action. And bef- before you know it, you're so much further along than you ever thought you possibly would be. And yes. I think that gives you the momentum to keep going because, you know, as the second law of thermodynamics says, you know, with time comes entropy. Unless energy comes into the equation, that changes that entropy from happening, which is what positive momentum and action will do. So I, I think mm-hmm. that's great advice. Um, okay. So, so you're a young girl. You're trying these things out, and then you get fascinated with uh, wanting to do tumbling um, and getting into overall gymnastics. Can you tell me, like, what spearheaded that for you? Um, was it a fascination about it, or was it someone that you saw that inspired you to get into it?
1: As long as I can remember, I loved watching gymnastics on TV, and then, and I started very young. I started. Beginner classes. I mean, geez, like first grade, so probably six, of almost as early as you can start. You know, almost. I'm sure you could start earlier, but um, yeah, I was always drawn to it. And then I started doing it, and then it kind of all almost happened at the same time. And then I was because I was watching it on TV, because I was interested in it, because I was doing it already. I saw uh, Dominique Mociano on TV, she was, was right before the Olympics. She wasn't on the Olympic team yet, but I think the national team and then, and then the Olympic team. And so I knew that I always knew I was adopted and I always knew that my biological family was from Romania. And so I knew that Dominique was on team USA, but I knew she was Romanian as well, like blood and, um, and so I was always drawn to her because we looked alike and nobody looked like me, you know, I was adopted and I grew up in a very small town and I had like dark hair and dark skin and big, dark eyes. And for where I grew up, that was, you know, it was just different. I always loved it, but it was, it just, nobody looked like me. And so then I found she was Romanian and I was like, oh my gosh, so am I. And we look alike and we do the same, like we love the same sport, you know? And so I was so drawn to her. As a seven, eight year old, you know, those were just kind of the things that really drew me to her. And, and I, yeah, I just felt like a, a bond. Yeah. It was just, it was really awesome. And that I eventually, you know, started and then ended up competing in power tumbling for four years. And if you don't know what power tumbling is, it is. So like in gymnastics, you have four events and, uh, women's have four events and, so in power tumbling, you have the floor. So in, in gymnastics, it's the big square floor, like the bl- the big blue square floor that everybody does flips and backhand springs and twists and things like that. So power tumbling is instead of a square, it's like a long runway and you're doing flips, twists, backhand springs and things like that. So um, that is what I competed in for f- four years. And I was the first person without legs to ever do that, which is kind of. On one hand, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. On the other hand, you're like, wow, really? The <laughs> first? How is, how can, you know? So, and I didn't really grasp how big of a deal that was. And, you know, I won to state championship one year. I went to Junior Olympics. And at the time, I didn't think it was a big deal. I mean, I, all that's kind of when all the TV started. People don't realize that because they just kind of know, like, the stuff as an adult. But, um, All the media and TV started when I was a kid because this started getting so much momentum from local to uh, regional to national and then to international news. So I was flown to Germany when I was 12. I was flown to New York City. I was like all these like media outlets because I was doing this in the first person to do this kind of thing. I still didn't understand why everybody was making it was actually annoying. I was like. (laughs) Why is everybody making such a big deal? This is so stupid, you know? Like, you want to follow me around with a camera doing nothing in my life, you know? Like, I, I just didn't grasp it. And I'm glad I didn't grasp it, you know? I'm glad it was just kind of... But my mom told me, you know, if you help one person, and then that's it, then it's worth it. Then it's all worth it, you know, doing these talk shows and stuff. So I was like, okay. and um, And yeah, that kind of was... The beginning of that, and that transitioned into a career as performing as an acrobat and an aerialist. Aerialist is with like silk fabric from the ceilings, or you have all different apparatuses. You know the circle hoop called Lyra. You have straps, you have silks, and I just prefer my favorite is silks because it's so beautiful. It's much more difficult, but it's just very pretty, <laughs> very pretty, and that's a whole other story of getting started into, uh, into that world, which maybe we'll bounce into a little bit later, but
0: yeah, uh, we'll, we'll definitely go back to that. Um, I, yep. I have a, a good friend who was an all American gymnast at, uh, Syracuse and the, um, the male event that has always boggled my mind has been, um, the rings and especially when they're up there doing the I- iron cross. And, um, I, asked him, I'm like, was that the hardest event? Um, and he said, surprisingly, no. He goes, it's all core strength um, once you're up there. Um, and it's kind of just repetition of the moves. Um, but, but he said for him, um, that was not uh, the hardest event for whatever reason, parallel bars for him were harder. And he said it was more of a cadence and timing thing about getting his dismounts and other things correct. But um, do you find when you were doing the tumbling that, um, did you have that core strength, um, prior to that, or did it magnify itself when you started getting into it?
1: I think I had a natural good sense of uh, a good core strength. Cause when I was younger, I never used my wheelchair. Like my wheelchair was never in the house. I was always climbing things. I was always, you know, I was like a monkey for, from the beginning, you know? And, um, but I believe definitely that tumbling strengthened it. And then when I started doing acrobat and aerial performing, like with the trampoline where I was going really high and the silks, that just sent it like through the roof, I, my core was already above average and it went like, I don't know, 10 levels above that. So, um, yeah, (laughs) and it's, I forget that not everybody is, you know, has that for a while. I was just only ever around (laughs) gymnasts and acrobats and, and professional dancers. And it was like, kind of warped my sense of normal for a while, you know, like, Oh, you don't have a six pack and you can't just bend in half. Like that's kind of weird. And I'm like, Oh no, actually that's normal. We're weird. Okay. Got (laughs) it. You know, (laughs) It's it's kind of funny that does that it can do that to you.
0: <laughs> well, I have a a, a good friend who um, is adopted, and when she was around uh, eighteen years old and 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 of age, she finally went to her um, adopted parents, who she considers her her real parents, um, and said, "Do you happen to know who my adopted parents are?" And it turns out uh, they did. And her mom, for 18 years, had lived a half a mile away from her, uh, unbeknownst mm-hmm. to her. Um, but now, you know, she's been reunited with her whole family. She found out she has, you know, um, four or five half brothers and sisters, and she gets to see them all the time. Um, wow. But when you were about the same age, a little bit younger, that same kind of fascination popped into your head. What yes. Did it just kind of come out of nowhere? Um,
1: Kind of uh my friend was also adopted, and she had found out what her biological last name would have been. I don't know I don't know why or how, but she did, and up I was almost sixteen we were the same age, so we were almost sixteen and um up until that point, i never i wasn't really i didn't have a need to know anything um. Because I I had known so much. My parents were so open with my adoption and with uh like everything kind of, you know, about my biological family that they knew. And so I didn't really have a need, I didn't feel the need to like know, you know, I was good. And something just kind of went off when she, my friend had found out her biological last name. And then I was just kind of out of nowhere, like. I wonder what my biological last name would have been, you know, and um, which is really fascinating to me. And then even more fascinating that I went home and asked my mom if there was anything she knew about my biological family that I didn't know about, which is like, that just doesn't even make sense. Like, why would I think that they would know something? It just seems so far fetched, completely far fetched. That, and if they would have known something, they would have said it because that's their character. Like, they're not these big secret kind of people. That's just not how they are. Well, so then she, to my surprise, to my huge surprise, said, yeah, there is actually. I'm like, (laughs) what? Like, no, you know, no, there's not. What do you, it just doesn't, it didn't compute, you know? And then eventually, um, she tells me that my, bio- my biological last name would have been Mochianu. And I knew immediately, because it's not a common last name, you know, not here. And I watched her, you know, when I was younger. And so I knew the last name. And I'm like, like, what? You know, how, I guess somewhere really deep down, it made sense. But there was a lot of other stuff on top that it was like, no way. That was all first, you know? Like, how does that happen? This is like a... This just this like a one in a five million kind of situation or more. And, um yeah, it was just... It was exciting, you know? But shocking, like, whoa, it, you know?
0: When did you immediately want to reach out to them or did it take you a while to kind of sit on it before you decided to act?
1: Mm, no, I immediately wanted to reach out and I did. I mean, I, my uncle at the time was a private investigator, oddly enough. And so I reached out to him to do it professionally, you know? And so he reached out to my biological parents and we, we, All thought that they would just deny it you know like no I don't know what you're talking about you know we never had a daughter and blah 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 but I think they were so shocked that he found them that uh they just kind of they didn't deny it but then after after the first conversation with my uncle they didn't return his calls anymore you know they just kind of kept it buried and so then I started um trying to reach out to dominique and that was just a lot of failed attempts and a lot of planning and it just took time because i i wanted to do it the right way and didn't want them to think that i was just making it up or something so that all in all from beginning to end took about four years which seems like insane but it just it was just one thing after another you know that took a lot of um that was really discouraging you know for a while Cause it was like, oh, this is going to work this time. And then it didn't, you know? And then it was like, and then it started feeling impossible. Like, is this, is this actually ever going to happen? You know, like, is this real? Like, it just seems again, so far fetched. So kind of enormous that, yeah, it just kind of seemed like maybe it's not going to happen, you know? And, um, but then eventually it just started of coming on my mind again. I was even like dreaming about it. And, um, so started again, the last attempt and that was successful at the end of 2007. And I wrote a letter and copied pictures because we, I have a younger sister also, Christina and Christina and I look so much alike all of us. It's like undeniable. And, um, so I sent pictures, letter, and then, you know my number and and whatever so and a copy of all of the adoption documents the legal paper so that way they they knew everything was legal and so then I waited forever it seemed like and got a letter back from Dominique and then we had our first phone conversation um
0: I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember. So we put them all at passionstruck.com slash deals. Now back to passion struck.
1: January of 2008. And then we all met for the first time in person in May of 2008. Well,
0: it's an unbelievable story. Um, and I'm just wondering when you sent her that letter, um, Afterwards, did you find out if she even knew you existed um, at that point?
1: The first phone conversation, actually, no, I don't. Yeah, no, when she wrote the letter back, I believe she told me, which we were like 98% sure that they didn't know I existed. We just kind of thought, well, if they knew, they probably would have reached out or tried to or something, you know. So, uh, yeah, we were right. They, They had no idea that they had another sister out there. And so that was a whole thing, you know, with their parents, uh, that they had to kind of go through the whole being mad at them and then eventually forgiving them. And, you know,
0: yeah. Mom and thing. dad, what the heck?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right.
0: Um, and, and so you finally, um, get to meet your two sisters and did did it like right when you met them, did you feel a connection with them? Um, as siblings often do.
1: Yeah. It was uh it, it was just kind of this like, yeah, that makes it like, yeah, that makes sense. You're my sisters. I mean, there I wouldn't say like there was this it was obvious, but then like building something where you have a connection with somebody, that took a long that just took a while. Like there were things that were so natural because we all had so much in common. And then there were things that were totally not natural, where we absolutely had huge differences because we were raised so differently. You know, they were raised, they weren't raised like a normal American anyway, because they were raised by Romanians and their parents grew up in communism. And so you don't realize how much that affects somebody until you start kind of, you know, they had to tell tell me all these things, you know, because they had like these strange things and I'm like, where does that come from? You know? And and then they kind of break down like the culture and how everything was secretive in communism and you had to be afraid of everybody and your neighbor and like all these things. And I'm like, I've never even heard of stuff like that, you know? And we were like open door policy kind of everybody could come into our house, you know. So there were just these like stark night and day differences. And then, but then on the other hand, through everything I just said, being raised polar opposite, then there were these like unbelievably undeniable similarities. I mean, so it, it was just really interesting and that, you know, those things just took time to work through and, and we're still, you know, we're all, we have like our similarities And then our differences, you still see them in how we were raised, you know, it's, it's really interesting.
0: Yeah. And have you ever had an an opportunity to do any tumbling with your sister or has that never Um, come up?
1: No. Um, she's not performed in, you know, I don't know, 15 years or more, um, 10 at least, I think don't quote me on the number. Yeah. I think maybe like 15, maybe. And, and my performing is more, um, especially, since I started doing more solo performing, well, before I got married, <laughs> um, that's mainly been with silks. And that's not what her thing is. You know, she's been coaching and she has kids. It might sound like some natural fit, but it doesn't really, it's not really what she does or what, you know, kind of uh, isn't what, what's going on right now, I guess, or makes sense for no, her. No, or, I, I, yeah.
0: I get it. I, I just thought I'd ask because uh, that would yeah, be kind of yeah. cool if you got to perform if you got to, you know, work out with her and, and had that experience. Yeah. So I, yeah. I then want to go into, um, so you find yourself at, at Disney. Um, how did that come about?
1: Mm-hmm. So I got an internship through the Disney college program when I was 19 and moved, just kind of immediately moved. I, the, the paper had gotten lost in the mail and my acceptance letter. And so by the time I actually got the confirmation of that I was actually accepted, I, was, I moved just two weeks later. It was just two weeks at that point. So I moved from Illinois all the way to Orlando, Florida. And I never moved back, actually. I, I it was supposed to just be a five-month program. I extended it to an eight-month program. And then that's as far as you could extend it as long as you could do the program. And then I ended up just staying in Florida, living there. And that actually, the first year I was there is when exactly the first year, at the end of the first year is when I met my old performing partner. And that's when everything started happening. So I was going into fashion. That was my whole everything. Five years had been planned meticulously. The whole shebang, going to fashion college, like that was it. And then I came to a crossroads where I met Nate, my old partner in Florida, and I had to make a decision, like continue down the fashion path or take this totally new, you know, thing of trying out being an acrobat and aerialist. And um, obviously I chose performing and clearly that was the right choice. But at the time, you know, it was a big, big, big decision and so I started working with Nate first um he was more like a coach he was training me teaching me he taught me everything with aerial and silks and all that it was a lot of experimenting because uh, like you had mentioned earlier silks I mean aerial in general but definitely silks you really use your legs like all the time for every skill basically and so he had been performing as an acrobat and an aerialist for 10 years and he was a gymnast before that he's he was much older than me and um so he was teaching me all that stuff and then we were uh practicing on the trampoline the professional trampolines where you go really high and he was i i still knew how to flip and tumble you know but it was just needed to be cleaned up and so he started teaching me some partner stuff and then he kind of or we he we realized that there was so much that we could do together and there was actual advantages to believe it or not not having legs and I was strong but I was light and I knew how to do all these things you know and then he just kept teaching me how to do the more advanced stuff and then same with and then the silks was a whole experimental like Wow. I was just so excited to learn that I would be working five days a week, training five days a week for two or three hours after work with him five days a week. I was bruised and purple and black and blue and just beyond sore. And I was so excited. Like I, I didn't care. I was just on fire and the passion. Yeah that was like, couldn't have been bigger. And that's what was driving me, you know? And I knew that I was supposed to do it. I had prayed about it and I felt right about it, felt peace about turning the whole entire five-year plan that I had planned, like meticulously for fashion. And I also love fashion. I had a whole plan for that too. Um, But I felt peace about going down this new path. And and it was first though, like I was, I don't know, I guess I didn't think, about people um, thinking it was such a big deal that I was performing. But I didn't realize, it, again, it's kind of the same formula here, again, as, as the tumbling, sort of. But no one had ever done it. No one like me, without legs, had went down this acrobat and aerial path in the entertainment industry. And you know, the entertainment industry is a whole different beast. And people didn't know what to do with me. It was so interesting. I mean, I guess, obviously, when you think about it, you're like, oh, yeah, because no one's ever seen somebody like me. There was nothing to compare it to. There was no box. There was no label. There was nothing. And so people are like, uh it's cool. You can do it. But I don't know what to do with you. And I don't know how an audience is going to feel about you. You know, I'm like, OK, I mean, whatever, that's fine. But I know they're going to love it. Like, I just I don't know. It didn't bother me as much as you would think it would have. Or maybe it should have. Um, but, but the thing that I think bothered me the most was my, what Nate, he came to me one time and it was way after the fact that it had happened, but like his friends, his colleagues or whatever in the acrobat and aerial community had like sat him down and had like an intervention with him about me and that he was uh throwing his career away by being my partner and that was like a hit that was like a gut punch it didn't like stop me or anything but it made me mad I was like how can you because they were all nice to my face and I was so naive and just so like I just loved everybody and I didn't even know people thought like that I I just that's just not the way my brain worked and I thought that is so weird. Like, why did they care so much? And why would they, like, I didn't get it. And, but we kept going and yeah. Kudos was...
0: for, for him, not uh, listening to them and going with um, what he felt was the right thing to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's true. Um, of course, I think it bothered him too, but I guess not enough to stop. <laughs> so, um, so then we, everything happened pretty fast. I mean, we had our first performance again, only because, uh, somebody had, uh, canceled last minute, like, a a performance and these people were so desperate and they were so scared to hire us, but they didn't have any other choice. And so it was like 5,000 people, which is like, was so intimidating for me. And, uh, and we crushed it. Everybody loved it. And they saw the audience loved it. It was no big deal. and I mean, not in that way, you know, everybody loved it. They were excited and they didn't freak out or whatever (laughs) and um and then that next year we were on tour with britney spears as a featured act that was the moment that was the that changed my whole career that was the moment where um eh, i don't know if we should hire you to okay now everybody all over the world wants us to perform it opened up it like broke those barriers that people were Um, afraid of because on a tour sometimes we had twenty thousand people in the audience and they were going insane for our act sometimes i still can't believe that i lived that and then i got to do that i mean even when you're in the olympics you don't get audiences in live with that size i mean yeah i've been on tv where millions of people were watching but it is not the same at all as as that in-house the energy, the atmosphere of that many people is like something that very few people get to experience. And I am so grateful. It pushed me. I mean, it was extremely intimidating, especially for a very brand new performer, (laughs) very young, thrown into the fire. And everybody was already kind of like at any moment ready to fire me if we made a mistake, because it was so kind of like cutting edge, I guess, if you want to say. And so, yeah, that made me excel so much as a performer and under pressure, what I can do and um, my confidence level as a performer, my ability to, like, I walked away from 40 some shows with Brittany and I was like, after that, I can do anything. (laughs) I literally, and, and that was 13 years ago. And I still am like, yep. And literally, the my whole career, I was like, nothing's going to be that bad. Like, nothing's going to be that intimidating. It was the most of the most of the most. Like, the music, the lighting, the way we entered. The most pressure you could have is and that was it. And And it really benefited. Like, there were so many times in my career, like, I was performing maybe five years ago, six years ago. Uh, for L.A. Fashion Week on the runway and my aerial rig went over the runway and the, there was water on both sides. It was a really cool uh, venue, like a performance. And my music just stopped halfway through and never came back. And I was like, well, like, obviously, I'm not going to The show stop. must go
0: on. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I just finished my act in silence. And I thought, great, all these like hoity-toity fancy LA fashion people, fashion week folks are going to be like, whatever. But I'm like, what else? What was I supposed to do? And afterward, oh my God, the people coming up, you they loved it even more. They're like, oh, you just kept going. Oh my God, that was unbelievable. You didn't even skip a beat. And I was like, well, obviously I kept going. I was so like uh, happy at their response. You know, they loved it. It was like they loved it even more. It was so... Cool, but those are the kind of things, and those kind of things have happened all throughout. And that pressure, all that extreme stuff happening on the Britney tour years ago, that all prepared me for that kind of stuff. To be like, eh, whatever, music, no music, it's fine,
0: <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, what what's it like going on the the road like that? Was was it forty shows around the world? Were they just in the United States?
1: Um, the so it was broken up into different legs the tour. I came in on the last two legs. So I did North America and then we had a break and then, um, and then I did Australia. So though they were each chunk of the tour, the leg of the tour was broken up. So the first two, um, one was North America, one was Europe. I didn't do those two. I came in halfway and then I did the second North American leg and Australia so that they were broken up, you know, um, And it was, well, I loved it. I mean, you know, it was like, whoa, everything was so new. And it was the highest grossing tour in the world. And it was Britney Spears. And it was like the biggest of the biggest in every kind of way, you know, so it was just over the top, you know, everything for me was over the top. And I love traveling. I love meeting new people. And so I loved it. I mean, I still love, I mean, and since then, you know, Um, it started out just performing, like we're talking about now. And then eventually professional speaking came, then eventually my book came. And so all of those things together led to even more traveling, you know, even more events and even more. So I wasn't just performing. Now I could also speak. And so that obvious, you know, that automatically just opened up more doors because you're not just a performer anymore. Now you're also a speaker and sometimes you do just perform and sometimes you only speak. And sometimes I do both, you know, and then the book came and then that opened up even more opportunities, you know? So over the years I've been, until the whole world shut down, I was traveling nonstop for about 12 years, 13 years, all over the world, speaking and performing. Mm -hmm.
0: I have felt that exhilaration that you did, um, Not nearly a fraction of the amount of times you did, but the the biggest event I ever got to speak at was uh, Dreamforce, uh, which is the Salesforce uh, Mecca um, conference that they do. And there are about 45,000 people in the audience. And and, um, I will never forget it because I was doing the keynote uh, with the CEO of Salesforce, Mark Benioff. And it's something we had rehearsed the day before, but preceding that I had traveled around the world with them for about a year doing smaller venues. Probably the biggest crowd we had been in was, you know, 10 to 20,000 before that, but Mark never followed a script. So we, we practiced this whole thing the day before I have the questions. I know he's going to ask me, everything is in line. I'm feeling confident. And then we go up there and he doesn't ask one question that's on the script. So we're completely <laughs> ad-libbing the whole thing in front of forty-five thousand people, and the worst thing is, ironically, two of his best friends, and they couldn't be any more different, are Neil Young and Will I Am from uh, uh, the oh, Black Eyed wow. Peas, and wow. Will I Am is in the front row, making googly like things like this at the two okay. of us. So I am here trying not to crack up, to answering these questions that are coming out of nowhere that aren't following anything we're doing. And it's like almost turning into a comedy routine. It was just crazy. (laughs) But after a while, the crowd just kind of like blurs away when you get into that zone. And you don't realize that there are that many people there. But it is when you first look out, it is quite intimidating. I couldn't see where they stopped. So I...
1: That sounds awesome, though.
0: (laughs) Well, speaking of public speaking, something I... I, uh, When I was doing research on you that came up, Uh, It might have been something you said in the TED talk is um, you didn't, I I guess the question is, why didn't you want to be a public speaker?
1: I was performing as an acrobat and aerialist traveling all around the world, doing my thing. I love performing. I love the costumes. I love all the fun stuff, the makeup, the hair and all of that, you know, of course with the fashion background, I'd love all that stuff. And speaking just, I guess my association with speakers, you know, growing up, we didn't have almost any speakers come to our school because it was really very small where I grew up. And the only people I saw speaking were older men, like dressed just boring suit and tie and they weren't interesting, you know? And so that's kind of what I thought of when I thought of being a speaker. And I just thought it was like a downgrade from performing because performing has all the fun stuff and speaking just you know like a microphone and it just seems very boring and uh and also I just thought well that's just something I'll do when I retire from performing like in my late 40s or early 50s when I don't want to perform anymore I'll just start speaking and write a book you know and uh yep that came 25 years earlier than I thought it would so I was very hesitant for a long time. I totally ran away from it, like pushed it away, didn't want it. And, um, and that was so stupid because it has been such a huge blessing in my life. And, and like I said, I've been able to travel to even more places because of speaking and the doors that speaking has opened and the people that I've met. And I've been so blessed by that tremendously. And so I just had the wrong, the wrong mindset about speaking.
0: I'll put the TEDx talk you did in the show notes. It's a great presentation. Um, Is there a favorite topic that you've ever given a a public speech on?
1: Um, I always talk about my life and I change it around depending on the audience I'm speaking to. Like if I'm, I've spoken to some adoption, like at some adoption events, you know, so obviously I'm going to talk a little bit more about Uh, the adoption part of my life. Uh, I speak about my faith at churches, I speak uh, to women's groups sometimes. And so obviously, I speak more to women, like women things and and stuff like that. So but I'm always speaking about my life. And I always kind of leave with a message to so I speak about my life and then share the things that I've learned to, you know, to share with other people, not like oh, I have it all figured out and you need to do what I do. It's just, I share my life, I share the things that I've learned and pass them along if somebody wants to learn. And the thing that I am I would say the most passionate about kind of telling people is that, you know, everybody is here for a purpose and everybody has a purpose and that they're not here by mistake, they're not here by accident and that they have gifts and talents and abilities that they do offer something to the world and that they have them. And not only do, does everybody have them, but they're equal value. And everybody can think of a couple of people that have so much influence or impact or followers, or they're on TV or they have a book or whatever. And it's so easy to naturally think that by default they are, and their gifts are more valuable and more important because they have more reach or more impact. But that's just not true because they're different, different in giftings, different in abilities. Absolutely. Thank God. <laughs> Cause how boring, you know, if we weren't different, but the, and, and not just that the boring and the, and the diversity part, but practically we reach, you know, it, with the diversity of gifts and talents and personality and characters, that's how we reach different people through our different gifts and talents, like people that you can reach, maybe I wouldn't reach and vice versa, things like that. And so I really want to encourage people that the gifts and the talents are of equal value. Like this is so many people think that they don't have a life that matters or that they don't even have anything to bring to the table or that they don't have a platform or a stage. And I always encourage people or remind them that they do have a platform and they do have a stage. And that's the people that are in their day-to-day life. The people that are paying attention, whether they think they are or not their coworkers, their family, their friend, whoever is in their, their atmosphere circ- atmosphere, circle group, whatever you want to say, those people, they're making an impact on them, whether they acknowledge it or not, they notice, those are the people that you have to, you know, if you want to make a bigger change, you got to start with, you know, here and then work your way out, right, and so I would just love to encourage people, because I've just seen, you know, like, all over the world, I've been Over 23 countries and people everywhere, no matter small town, city, background, adopted, foster, whatever it is. That's all in everybody. But the key to that and the thing that is the difference and that's the hardest, I think, is that is the believing part, you know, and like nobody can believe for you. That's the thing. It's not something someone can do for you. And that's really purely just us that we have to make that choice. Like you said, I'm firm believer in the choices every day. We have all kinds of choices. Being happy, being joyful is, is a choice, having a good attitude is a choice. And so it's certainly the same about believing. It's just a choice. And I would love if more people could believe because then they would see how awesome that like, not how awesome they can be because that sounds so cheesy, but how much, they have inside them. Also, everybody I believe is made to motivate and inspire. I think some people think it's just like, Oh, yeah, she's just like one of those people that was made to inspire and she was just motivational or but I think everybody can and is made for that. I firmly believe it. If you don't believe it, then you never will be. That's also true 100%. If you don't believe that about yourself, and you just think that you're kind of a loser and you suck and you're whatever, that's how you're gonna see yourself. And that's probably how other people are gonna see you too. It just is what it is. You know, if I walked around like that too and was like, man, I'm so weird and I don't have legs and uh I don't know, blah, blah, blah. It would make people feel uncomfortable. And they would be viewing me more towards that than if I just kind of was like, whatever, you know, it's no big deal. And then people usually don't think it's a big deal. <laughs> you know? So we have a lot more control over the way people Tree us than we think,
0: you know. Yeah, my, uh, I, I think those are all incredible points. Um, my nephew, uh, the one who was adopted, um, was here a couple weekends ago, and and it was the first time I'd, I'd had some one-on-one time with him in a while, and he's 18. And I asked him what his thoughts were about going to college, and he, he has, you know, some learning disabilities with which lots of people have. Um, But he was telling me, you know, I don't know if college is my purpose because I don't think I'm smart enough. And I just said, you know, to him, your intelligence and where you start has no bearing on what you can learn and the skill sets that you can achieve if you put your mind to where you want to go. Mm -hmm. Because what I have found, you know, I'm not the, the smartest. I'm not the most gifted. I'm not whatever but if you put your heart and soul into something, I, I think the universe rewards your hard work and your dedication to it. And you find ways to overcome the obstacles that that you face. And um, so I think what you just said is, is a great one. Um, so I did want to ask, uh, speaking of motivation, you know, what motivation keeps you going or what is your biggest motivator?
1: Yeah, I mean. No, I believe, like I had mentioned a little earlier, I believe that I was, um, born like this, not just by like an accident. Faith is a big part of my life. So I believe that God uses me for other people. And I have to say, you know, it's a lot of responsibility, like all, you know, like you feel a responsibility when, um, people ask me advice all the time, people who are older than me, people who have kids, people who are, you know, parents and people who know that I'm not a parent yet. And even before I was even married, you know, would ask me parental advice or these huge life things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, and I don't take that lightly and, and all of these things. Right. So if, if I was driven and motivated only by myself, for me, I think I would have burnt out years ago with all the traveling and all the pressure and all the, I put a lot of it on myself too. I mean, I always want to be like the best of the best, you know, I want my body to look good. I want my health to be great. I want my, you know, just to be better and better and better all the time. So a lot of that I put on myself probably. Um, But the motive, what really has kept me going, like longevity is just knowing that it's not about me. Like it's it's such a relief, honestly. It's like, very freeing that it's not just about me. And then I've seen so many other people, like people message me from all over the world. I mean, heavy stuff, like, like suicide stuff, you know? And like, I watched your video and then I didn't commit suicide. I was like, what? I mean, I can't even, that hits me and it stops me dead in my tracks. And it's incredibly humbling and it's mind blowing. And I am just so honored. And I I just can't even believe that, I'm being used in this kind of a way. It's just overwhelming. And that is the fire. It's knowing that this is my purpose. Like this is really honestly why I'm here and to keep going, be excellent in what I do. And to be a great example for people in every single way that I can. And my husband and I feel the same exact way about just our lives and our marriage, our health, our fitness, everything. And we speak together too. And we perform together as well. It's a, a great responsibility. But it's what keeps me going. It's just like, you know, hearing all the people's messages and being like, oh, my gosh, like, this is what I'm supposed to do. I can't believe that, you know, and it's it's really an honor. It's really an honor. It really is. Like, it's I don't know. I don't think I don't think it'll ever stop being like, what? Really? You know, me? That's so wild, you know, but it's it's just what God's done through me in my life like that my life. It was meant to be shared, you know. It, it's obvious, like through through an interview, through the book, or through performance, or through a speech, or whatever. You know, it's just meant to be shared, and that's um, that's why I share it. Yeah.
0: Well, that is such an incredible message, and it is truly amazing and a beautiful thing that you're reaching so many people, and that people come to you with those types of issues. Just on the suicide thing alone, over the past couple of years, we've been averaging 800,000 to approaching 900,000 people globally who are taking their lives. If one person could be touched and they realize that there's hope for them out there, what a difference you you have made saving lives. I have four questions for you coming up that are just going to be very, very quick, like one answer questions, but Uh, Before I get to that, I did want to ask, because I'm sure the listeners would want to hear, you know, what's up next for you? What major plans do you have in your future?
1: Yeah. um, So like I said, so I got married two and a half years ago, and we have been speaking together and performing together. We just created a brand new act that we were supposed to be in D.C. right now performing. And we had about 74 shows with this company And everything got shut down, Um, actually not due to COVID, shockingly, uh, but just other things that was like a perfect storm. And uh, the show is amazing. So we'll be back in February doing a couple shows there, not the full run yet. And in the meantime, we are going to be in the next few months, we will be traveling all around the Midwest and probably around more than just the Midwest, but. Um, speaking together in churches and in schools and just kind of and performing and whatever comes up we're, we're our place is rented out in LA for the next couple of months so we're just on the road and uh yeah we're just kind of like excited of we're going wherever the doors open and we're speaking wherever we're called and that's kind of what we're doing now and then we'll eventually be um putting our feelers out to where places that we would like to perform as well so that's kind of current, right now, current, what's going on.
0: Okay, great. Well, I, I, yeah. um, I can't wait to see it um, and yeah. this new performance because as I've been doing the research on this and watching some of the videos you sent and other ones I found, uh, your performance truly is amazing. So Thank you. awesome job. Okay, so four fun questions. Um, if, if I got to see you perform on the Late Late Show, and you got in the car and you were going to do car karaoke. What song would you want to belt out?
1: Oh, well, the song, like my one karaoke song that I know every word to is The Devil Went Down to Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> that song. Yep. And that's thanks to my brother singing it my whole childhood. So I know the whole. Yeah, I could crush that song out. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, <laughs> This is a fun question I like to ask. Um, I've had a number of astronauts on the, on the show. Um, and what I ask is, if you were selected to be one of the astronauts who went to a new planet and you could establish any rule or law or regulation for that new planet that would govern it, what would it be?
1: Oh, man, that's an interesting question. Huh. Huh i'm gonna have to think about that i mean well i don't know i should make that a law but i would love for it to be something with maybe exercise and fitness To, but i don't think we should i don't know if i should make that a law you know people should have a choice to exercise <laughs> um hmm that's a tough one i don't know if i know an answer to that and i almost never don't have an answer for something Um,
0: well, maybe, um, maybe you can think about it and tell me the answer and I'll put it in the show notes so people can go see it.
1: I got it. Maybe that everybody, every home can have their own garden, like every yard, they have their own, uh, food source where they can grow their own food. I think that would be really nice.
0: Okay, cool. Um, if there was someone that you have never met and they could be living or deceased, um, who would it be?
1: Oh, well, I it would have to be Jesus. I would have to know so many things. There would be like so many questions that I have about. Yeah, that would be it. That I would have to. Yeah, that's an easy one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. And then the last one is, um, what's your personal motto or advice that you live by?
1: Well, The there's a reason that everything is possible is the title of the book. And the the second part of that is just too long for a title is to the one who believes. So that's why I made it the title, because if there is one motto or one um, way of thinking that I live by it, I really do believe that I really do believe that um, everything is possible. Keyword, if you believe in that. And so that is why that's my title, because it's truly, honestly, what I believe and it is how I live my life. And I've seen that my whole life in things that just look impossible, but they are possible. (laughs) It turns out, you know, so that, that is what I believe in. Definitely.
0: Okay. And I will make sure that the book is in the show notes. I'm going to have, you know, all your Um, social links and everything else.
1: Interesting kind of cool thing about my book is that it is in 11 languages. And to me, that's been, like my book is a New York Times bestseller, but, which is not a small, I'm not trying to make that a small thing. But for me, the that it being in 11 languages is like the most cool thing to me because it is reaching people that I don't speak their language. And that is to me, like, one of the coolest things that has happened in, in my career, actually. And it's not even a has nothing to do with like a financial thing or whatever, but it's just like a pure reach that blew my blows my mind, actually. And I think that I just had to share that. It's just such a cool, interesting thing that you can't really um, expect or I didn't expect, you know, and and it's been awesome. So
0: I think that's awesome. One of the things I like about YouTube is I always put closed captions on all videos Um, because they display them in the language um, that the person chooses to view them in. So it's great. I've, you know, so I have people in India, Malaysia, you know, Czechoslovakia, Russia, watching the videos, uh, many of who, you know, English is not a native language, and yet they're still able to get the message.
1: Oh, that's great. I love that. So awesome.
0: Well, Jen, thank you so much for for coming on the show. What an amazing woman you are, life you've created, and so many, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, if not more, you're touching uh, with the gifts that God gave you. So thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: I can't say enough about that incredible interview we just witnessed with Jen Brickerbauer Bauer and how inspirational she is. Since the interview, I've gotten to know Jen a lot better and have now been following her even more on Instagram and in her weekly inspirational speeches that she's giving to churches all throughout the country. Such an amazing woman who God is using truly as an instrument to show people that we can do anything in our lives that we deem possible. Today's guest was suggested by a fan of the podcast and I would invite all our guests. If there's someone that you would like to see me interview, please DM me on Instagram at John R. Miles, or go to LinkedIn. You can find me at John Miles there. We have just some amazing guests coming up on the podcast. I'm going to just name a few of them: Greek actress Katie Shinakis, Jordan Harbringer, who you might know as being the host of the Jordan Harbringer podcast, astronaut Nicole Stott, Rear Admiral Tim Gallaudet, the former Under Secretary of Commerce and NOAA Administrator, and Admiral James Stavridis. You will also find that in my solo episodes, I am trying a new technique. And I hope you will check these episodes out. And please give me your feedback on how they resonate. And remember, and if there's a topic you would like to see me do a Momentum Friday episode on, please also hit me up on Instagram or LinkedIn. Now, go out there and live life passion struck thank you so much for joining us the purpose of our show is to make passion go viral and we do that by sharing with you the knowledge and skills that you need to unlock your hidden potential if you want to hear more please subscribe to the passion struck podcast on spotify itunes stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts at and if you absolutely love this episode we'd appreciate a five-star rating on itunes and you sharing it with three of your most growth-minded friends so they can post it as well to their social accounts and help us grow our Passion struck community. If you'd like to learn more about the show and our mission, you can go to passionstruck.com where you can sign up for our, our newsletter, look at our tools, and also download the show notes for today's episode. Additionally, you can listen to us every Tuesday and Friday for even more inspiring content. And remember, make a choice, work hard, and step into your sharp edges. Thank you again for joining us.